All right, with your hands stretched forth this way, let me invite you, please, to pray uh, for God to have his way and for this message to really connect. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that your hand will be upon this word and that only what you desire for us to hear is what will be spoken. I pray for clarity of thought. I pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we will leave this place challenged, changed, transformed uh, to go about doing your, your will for our lives. And so we honor you and we praise you. We bind and rebuke every distraction, every lie of the enemy as we hold on to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, go to the book of Titus. We looked at that last week. Uh, we looked at the book of Titus uh, last week. And we're going to stay uh, in the book of Titus again today uh, as we set the stage for uh, what I believe is a divine moment, an opportunity that God has given unto us. Now, in the context, Paul is writing to Titus, his spiritual son, in the faith of, of verse 4, tells us that, and there is a specific thing that he's doing. And what Paul wants us to recognize is leadership is important. I want you to get that in your mind. Leadership is important. That Paul tells Titus, I need for you to go and bring order to chaos, to bring order to chaos. And so if you are a believer, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you are to bring order to chaos everywhere you go. That's in your home. That's in your business. That's in your life. And so he gives the qualifications that we look at. And so it's important to understand that these qualifications need to be necessary in your leadership. Never lower the standard when it comes to leadership because the leader you follow, you'll end up where they're going. And you may not like where they're taking you. And so it's important uh, that we do that, especially in today where you can just click on YouTube or any other medium and you can find people preaching, prophesying all over. And if you're not careful, you will become deceived in the direction that they're going, right? And so I think it's important that we become students of the word, that we understand what it is. So in Titus chapter number one, uh, we're going to look at uh, verse number two. And it says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. I want you to underline or have in your mind, if you're taking notes, write this down. God who never lies. God who never lies. I can't help in reading this as the Apostle Paul has given us some rich attributes of God that he's given to Titus. That I have to extract from the text the attributes that God wants us to know and to understand. And so he begins and he says, which God who never lies. And so before we get there, let me just give you a quick reminder that we're not just looking at the promises of God. We can spend an entire year, an entire two years. We can spend your entire life digesting, reading all the promises of God. Uh, but what we want to really focus on is the God of the promise, the promise keeper. And so last week what we did was we introduced the promise keeper to you. And we said the promise keeper, as we saw in Genesis, is really God's commitment to his covenant. That word promise, you can write the word covenant as well. It's, it's similar. You can also write the word command. So God's command is his promise. God's covenant is his promise. And the central covenant or promise that God gave to us, and this ought to encourage somebody, I promise never to leave you. When you introduce people to the promise keeper, make sure you are telling them that, that God promised to never leave you. 
God promised never to leave you. And some may say, well, what about this particular person and how they're living? I didn't say they won't leave God. I'm saying God won't leave them. Let that be clear, right? Because we got to have truth with love. So I'm not saying you can't walk away from God. I'm simply saying God will never leave you. You can break your word, but God will never break his promise. And that's central right there to understand. So you can have compassion when you're speaking to people. Because if you think that their sin is so detestable, you will have a sense of arrogance and sense of rebellion and forget where you came from. That there was a time when you were away from God. Right? So I promise never to leave you. Number two, we see that God protects his promise. Why? Because God protects his word. That God is more committed to his word than to your walk. Someone write that down. God is more committed to his word than your walk. And so God wants to protect his promise. And so he says, what is the promise from God? And what God has been passionately doing throughout the century, what God has passionately been doing ever since he says, let us make mankind, is this. I want to have fellowship with you. That's a message for this nation. If you want to give a message to the nation, to the United States of America, here's the message. God wants to have fellowship with us. That's the message. That God wants to have fellowship with us. And it's important that church, we never lose that. So therefore, if we're doing something that takes us out of fellowship with God, let's stop. Let's stop grieving the Holy Spirit because that takes us out of fellowship with God. Let's be people of the spirit. Why? Because we want to be in fellowship with God. Here's why. Because if you're not in fellowship with God, it makes it absolutely impossible to fellowship with other people. So you got to have fellowship with God or you become people pleasing. And it can get you distracted. So what is the promise from God? I didn't say promises. What is the promise from God? And number one, it is fellowship with him that God heart beats for this nation beats for you in your home and God is crying out and saying this is my promise I want to have fellowship with you number two he wants to give us eternal life we talked about that he wants to give us eternal life he also wants to make sure we have an eternal inheritance that's a good word and when did God do all this Titus tells us that God did this. He promised before the ages began. So even before Adam and Eve were created, God had this promise to fellowship with us. Let that marinate just for a second because that blows my mind away. Before Adam and Eve was created, God had promised in the ages before that he's going to do this. And so God has to keep his word. God has to keep his word. We know that because in John 17, verse 4 and 5, Jesus tells us, and Jesus says in John 17, verse 4 and 5, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So here is how you approach the biggest enemy, the biggest thing that gives us fear is death. Jesus tells how he, how he handles it. He says, I'm not afraid of death because God... I'm going to give you glory even in this. I'm going to go back to where I became or excuse me, where I was from the beginning. And so when you understand that there's a work that we're doing, we must think from this perspective. Think from the perspective of eternity. I want you to write that down because we think from a place of earthly. And the Bible says in James that earthly wisdom can be demonic. So he's saying don't think from earthly perspective. Think from an eternity. And so it's interesting, I heard this quote, one of my favorite quotes, is that most people hit the pillow at night, haven't moved nothing eternal ahead. They got 
finish their day, hit the pillow, and all they did was just try to survive life and all that life brings. And he's saying, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. God's promise is that. And so with that being the case now, here is the number one reason why God is the promise keeper. There's the number one reason why God alone is the promise keeper because God never lies. He never lies. And so if we're going to embrace the promises of God, if Titus is going to be successful in bringing order to chaos, if we're going to live as a ministry, as a people, if we're going to do life together, we must believe that God never lies. We have to look at that. And so when I seen, when I read this, that Paul puts it right, I'm like, what are you saying? So God is saying, what am I about to do to TGP? You have to believe I don't lie. When I declare and decree a truth to a vessel, a servant, who is a qualified leader, according to the scripture, anointed, yes, but also qualified. I know he can use a donkey. But if that's the level of your ability to believe God is a donkey, we've got some issues going on. Because the donkey was used because the man riding the donkey wouldn't listen. So don't be a donkey, right? You know what I'm saying? So we got to get to a place where we understand that we're qualified. Why? Because God never lies. And what this prophet was doing was trying to break that. Was paid to bring a curse upon God's people. Let me break that down for you. Paid money to bring a curse upon God's people. And that has not changed. That the enemy is still using people and paying them money to pronounce a curse over your life. And so Paul writes and says, Titus, you're going to face people who are going to curse you to your face. And tell you that your God is a liar. And you got to have the spine, the backbone to take the people where they need to go. And the answer is God who never lies. Now, I'm going to give you five points that's really saying one thing. Okay. So the way I say this is really, did he already say that? Yes, by design. But perhaps the way I give it is the way you want to receive it. So I don't want to leave anybody out. So I got five ways of saying the same thing. That's probably not good for homiletics, but it's what I'm going to do right now, right? So, so we're going to do that. The first thing is this. As you take notes, the God who never lies, first thing is this. God is not a man that he should lie. So the first thing is this. God's not a man, this is the context, that he should lie. So go to Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. That's where we pick up the story about the donkey and the prophet. And so in Numbers 23, what happened, they just came out of Egypt, a promise fulfilled by God. That God took an entire nation out of Egypt because he kept his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He takes a nation of millions of people, and now they are walking in the wilderness. Before we get to our promised land, before we get to our promised rest, you've got to go through a wilderness experience. You can't shortchange this, by the way, people. You've got to go through a wilderness experience of seeing God's faithfulness. You have to go through it. It's part of, someone say, life. It's part of life. They were chosen, but had to go through the wilderness. They were delivered, but had to go through the wilderness. 
And so the wilderness experience is where we understand that God is not a man that he should lie. And so in Numbers 23, verse 19, what had happened was Balaam was, was paid by Balak, the king, to stop this massive army that was coming. He heard about the deliverance and he heard about what God did in Egypt. Listen, the enemy knows what God's doing in your life. Don't let the enemy lie to you and think that God, come on. The enemy knows what God is doing in your life and it's a good work. It's a work of deliverance. It's a work of breaking bad habits. That's a work of deliverance. It's not just, it's not just self-care. It's not just self-talk. It is the work of deliverance that God is doing. It can't just be willpower. It's got to be God's sustaining power. Delusion, they're done. Come on. Science tells us that. And if you're one of the fortunate ones who have made it with a strong will, I'm here to tell you, without the power of God's will in your life, we won't accomplish great things. And so life is out there. And so the first thing is God is not a man that he should lie. And he goes on, that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? This is a prophet, a false prophet. That God is saying, I know you are paid to curse them. Oh, my goodness. But you must speak blessing over them. Oh, my goodness. Not because of them, but because I never lie. Oh, my goodness. My God. My God. Motivated to bring the curse, but couldn't. Had opportunity to bring the curse, but couldn't. Have, have, Have access. To bring the curse, but couldn't. Why? Because God says, I never lie. I don't change my mind. I told them they're going to be slaves for 400 years and they got to come out. Come on, somebody. And so Pharaoh can't stop what I'm doing. Why? Because all of eternity heard when I said that they will be a people unto me and they will come out of slavery and out of bondage and no longer being oppressed. And God kept his word. Come on. And so when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, guess what? No devil in hell can stop what God has prophesied over your life. God is not a man that he shall lie. He goes on. I love how the contemporary English says it. They says it this way. God is not mere human. You know, sometimes we break their promise. Well, he's just human. God's like, I'm not even in that category. And we believe people more than we believe God. On Saturday when they were anointed me, one of the guys looked at me. He says, Ro, he says, don't be afraid to break protocol. He He said, don't be rebellious. Don't be rebellious. Don't just go against structure for the sake of it. But there are times we have to tell the people you're leading, I heard God. Come on, that's a good word for somebody. Parenting your child. Come on, starting that business. You know what I'm saying? They're like, you don't have enough money. You don't have the qualification. You got to tell them, I know all that, but I heard God. And God never lies. I heard God. And he goes on and says, he doesn't tell lies or change his mind. God always keeps his promises. The voice translation puts it this way. God is not a man. He doesn't lie. God isn't the son of a man to want to take back what he said. Ooh, my goodness. It's not like God looked at you, God, and and had his fingers crossed behind his back. (laughs) No, he went to the cross. Come on. And took the stripes on his back. Oh, that's a good for somebody right there. That's for somebody right there. That's for somebody right there. He didn't come and say, Minister Blaine, I gave this to you. But look, I crossed my fingers. I'm going to take it back. He says, no, 
I know who you're going to marry. Come on. I arrange who you're going to marry. I know the child you're going to have. Come on. I know all this. I know what you're going to go through the first time. Come on, somebody. He knows the enemy wants to try to lie to you, but God says, no, I'm going to give birth. I want, come on. Come on. Trying to discourage you. Trying to, try, trying to make God a liar in your life. Then he crossed his fingers, folks. No, no, no. He went to the cross. He keeps his promise. He doesn't take back what he says or say something and not follow through. I love that. Or speak and not act upon it. So God is not a man that he should lie. And here's why. Because in Titus chapter 1 verse 12, he says some of the people you're going to access in Titus chapter 1 verse 12, they're liars. He says they're a prophet of their own because their own prophet even said it. So Paul is telling them God never lies. Why? Because you're going to embrace liars. That's the assignment. And so it's important that we understand that. Psalms 12 verse 2 says everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattery lips and a double heart they speak. Life is full of liars. <laughs> Doesn't sound appealing, does it? But that's the reality. That's the reality. So the first thing is this. God is not a man that he should lie. The second thing is this. God does not lie. God does not lie. Well, how could he say that, Ro? Well, here's why. Here's what the word says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Here's the reason why God does not lie. So first, God is not a man that he should lie. That's the first thing. Number two, God does, God does not lie because of his unchangeable character and purpose. <laughs> right? It's not if you're taking notes. Promise equals purpose. And purpose equals promise. So promise equals purpose. And purpose equals promise. And so God does not lie. Why? Because of his unchangeable character and the purpose so in other words when God speaks a word here's what God does now God speaks a word pastor Betty and he watches over his word to perform it so if you abide in the word you're abiding in God that's so good that's why God can go into the dark places and the enemy can't accuse him of violating his own word you have to understand the enemy's assignment is to accuse God of violating his word that's what he does. That's, that's, that's demology 101. If you want to understand the, the world of, dem, of demonic, it's simply that. That God's entire, excuse me, Satan's entire assignment is to, is to accuse God of violating his word. The entire demonic structure exists for that purpose. Because the demonic system will also give you prosperity. <laughs> It'll open doors for you as well. Come on, somebody. And if you don't know God's word, you'll be confused of something that's good, but not God. And so it says, you got to know my character, my purpose. So if you understand the purpose of prosperity, then you can rebuke this lie and this thing of prosperity gospel. Of course, the gospel is prosperity. You will have life and have it more abundantly. Of course, it's prosperity. It's the devil that wants you to think that God wants you to have a poverty mindset. So you won't trust God for big things. Come on, somebody. In the garden, he says, you have all of this, Adam. That's prosperity. It's the devil who brought poverty. (laughs) Write that down. So be free to pursue the things of God for your life because someone needs you to prosper. So you can show that God is good if you keep his law, if you keep his word. Because this is why you do. Hold on. Why are you prospering? Because of God's unchangeable character and purpose. How come you can do that because of God's unchangeable character and purpose? 
God doesn't lie. So God told me this. So guess what? God's word is on the line. And so in Hebrews 6, verse 17, he says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the ears of the promise, which is fellowship with God, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So in other words, God is saying, I can't break my promise. I can't go back on my word. I don't lie. Here it is now. So Caroline Madison said this, and I quote, God doesn't lie. It's more than a statement that he could lie and chooses not to. So God doesn't lie doesn't mean, well, I could, but I choose not to. That's what we do. And God is not mere human. So she goes on and says, no, no, no. What the author of Hebrew is saying is that it's impossible for God to lie. It's not that he can because he's God and he chooses not to. It's that it is impossible for God to lie, which is point number three. It's impossible for God to lie. So number one, God is not a man that he should lie. Point number two is God does not lie. And number three, here's why. Tell the devil it's impossible for God to lie. (laughs) Not just because of the two unchangeable character and purpose, but now it's because of two unchangeable things. God gave, write this down, his word, and God gave his oath. In other words, um, if someone would say to you, are you telling me the truth? If someone would say, uh, 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 Julie, are you telling the truth? And you would say, yeah. Okay, well, swear on your mother's grave. They want something greater than you. So they're saying, I know you may lie, but swear on something greater than you. And you go, okay, I swear on my mother's grave. Or put your hand in the Bible because there's something greater than you, right? And that's what people do. We're like, okay, that's the final confirmation now is how we look at things. God is saying, there is nothing that's greater than me. So I'm going to swear, not cuss. Come on, somebody. I'm going to swear, not cuss. Because you have to understand, in the Old Testament culture, when he gave your oath, it meant you gave your life. And he's saying that there's nobody greater than me. So when God looks into the heavens, God's like, I'm above the heavens. When God looks to the star, I'm above the star. When God looks, God says, there's nobody higher than me. So God says, I love you so much. It's impossible for me to lie. I'm going to swear by myself. So it says, I swear, God says, okay. (laughs) Because it's impossible. See, our finite mind can't wrap it around that. That God said, it is impossible for me to lie. If I gave you a promise, it is impossible for me to lie. Hear me, church. If God has given you a promise, he is saying it is impossible for him to lie because I swore. (laughs) Not cuss, that's the devil. Come on, somebody. It's given an oath. It's where Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you have integrity, you don't got to swear by nothing. Why? Because your word is your bond. And God is saying, so your finite mind can understand my infinite wisdom. I swear by myself that there's nobody greater than God. And so he speaks his word. You must understand this Bible you have is a dangerous weapon. Jesus destroyed the devil by the word of God because he promised he'll bring him back to glory. Father, you want me to go down? You want me to go and redeem them? Yes, son. Okay, I'm going to go. But son, I'm going to bring you back. That's all I need, God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us because of a promise. Oh, come on. 
And so in John 17, he says, God, remember, you promised. And here's why we're Pentecostals, not because it's some denomination. You're Pentecostal because it's Bible. There's no other domination but Pentecostal. Every other one is man-made. No Baptist, no Methodist, I'm sorry. That's just part of a denomination that you connect with. Come on. No Foursquare is Pentecostal. Oh, I got to preach this thing. Come on. You got you. Come on. Because it's spirit filled. Come on. Because you have to understand that God gave you a promise. And no denomination can stop and prevent what God has. You are Pentecostal. When people ask you, I'm a Pentecostal believer. Spirit filled. Baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because God gave a promise. My God. Let me teach this thing. I got five minutes left. What denomination? I'm like, what? When I got saved, it confused me, denomination. I told you this story. I got saved, man. Holy Ghost smooth upon my life, Minister Blaine. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm like, this is amazing. I go amongst the religious people and they almost talked me out of my experience. I'm not kidding. I said, man, hey, I finally accept this God you were telling me about. All through high school, he kept telling me to get saved. I get saved, I come back. And the first question you ask me is, what denomination? I said, what are you talking about? It's some high school. They mean the high school. I don't know. But man, my encounter with God was, was, was absolutely amazing. And I finally said, you all are weird. You religious people are weird. I said, I want Jesus. Because he doesn't lie. See, your denomination can change course, but not God. Come on, let me teach this thing. You're Pentecostals. What's that bald-headed man talking about? You're Pentecostals. you got to tell people that. I'm spirit-filled. In these last days, you got to be filled with the Spirit. Why am I laboring this point? Because Jesus says, Father, are you telling me if I go down and redeem them, I can come back with you? And he says, yes, son. That's how much I love them. For God so loved the world, I gave my only begotten son. So Jesus came because the promise of the Father, not because of your sin. <laughs> And because someone had to die for your sin is why he went to the cross. Because you can't have fellowship with God because man had to die for sin. But only God can redeem sinners. And so Jesus says, I'm coming down because of a promise. So here's Jesus now. He says, I'm leaving. They're like, oh, my gosh, where are you going? He said, I got to go back to the father. My work is done. I've conquered death, hell, and the grave. It's over. But he says, I'm going to give you a promise. Come on. I'm going to give you a promise. God gave me a promise. I'm going to give you a promise. He said, I want you to to go in the upper room. And I'm going to give you a promise knowing I made it back to heaven. Come on. Pentecost is a historical event that the Jews would celebrate. But it's deeper than that. Someone say it's deeper than that. Pentecost is a fulfillment of a promise. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, walked among them for 40 more days. He says, I got to go now. They're like, where? What are we going to do? You're leaving. He says, no, I'm going to give you a promise. The father gave me a promise. I'm going to give you a promise. He says, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of promise, he calls it. That how I walked among you, the Holy Spirit now is going to live in you. Ooh. 
You're Pentecostal right in the book of Acts. Come on. He says, I walked among you. You touched me. But one is going to come who's going to live in you. Oh, God. And when he, come on, speaks to you, he speaks to you about what I did. And we say, what I did, you look back to the Father. Why? Because he's saying it's impossible for God to lie. So when the Holy Spirit came, why did they leave the upper room? Because they realized the promise came. God kept his word. And Jesus kept his word. And so the Holy Spirit came. The promise, like, all right, let's go, guys. Come on. Let's go. Why? Because God will never lie. So you're Pentecostal because the promise of the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus made it home. What's the evidence you know that Jesus made it home? We have evidence he died from he raised from the grave because we could see the empty tomb. But how do you know he made it back to heaven? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Write that down. That's going to change your mindset right there. You can preach and tell people he rose from the dead. Yes. And you can see the empty. You can go to Israel and say, this is where we think it is geographically. It was in this place. He's empty. But Buddha's still in the grave. Come on. Muhammad's still in the grave. You got all these other gods in the grave. But Jesus, the tomb is empty. But how do we know he made it home? We know he made it from the grave, but how do we know he made it home? You know he made it home because the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And because the Spirit lives inside of you, you know Jesus made it back to the Father with glory. So now I live on earth to give God glory. So even though eternity is established, I now have power to live on earth. Because of a promise. Now, it's great that somebody has an experience and they go to heaven and come back, but they're going to die again. It's important to men once that, but after this is judgment. And so it's impossible for God to lie. And so now you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. I hear God saying the Holy Spirit abides in you. So you will know it's impossible for me to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Let's go on. I think I'm on it before. God cannot lie because he who promises faithful. So God cannot lie because he's faithful. See, it's impossible for God to lie. Why? Because of two unchangeable things. He gave his word and he gave an oath. It is what? God does not lie because of his unchangeable character and purpose. And we also read and we see what says God is not a man that he should lie. So now we get down to this place where it says that God cannot lie. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is what? Faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful. On Thursday, I was invited to speak. It was such an amazing time with our uh, communion group. If you've never been to communion, you're a young adult, you got to get there. Man, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And we're just talking about the hope and just talking about the blessing and and all of them, they were just blessing each other, speaking blessing over them. And they understand now. See, see that particular group, that generation understands when someone says, God bless you, they know the meaning of it now. We say, God bless you if you sneeze. But we want to know what does it mean to be blessed from the promises of God. And so we hear all the time, God bless you and God bless the United States of America. What are we really saying? It's, it's just something we say, but when we understand church, what that really means, when we say, say, God bless you and God bless the United States, there's three dimension that God wants you to understand that's connected to God never lies. And so we talked about that because here's the deal. What you understand is this, is that God cannot lie. Why? Because he's faithful and that brings hope. If you want hope for a nation, a hope for a nation comes, number one, through prayer, but number two, it comes through a promise. 
It comes through a promise that God is faithful. So why do we pray? Because God answers our prayer. Why? Because God who promised is faithful. He's reliable. He's credible. It's vital. Before, God has been giving us promises after promises after promises. But what we struggle with is this. God, did you lie? When it's delayed and doubt sets in, will we still hold on to this reality that God never lies? God cannot lie because it's people. And finally, God will not lie for nobody. He will not lie. He meant what he said. God will not lie. Both his promises are true and his punishment is true. You have to understand that as well. That God cannot say the soul that sins shall die and then change his mind. He cannot do that. God's given you a promise and there's also a punishment. God says, I will not lie. Go to 1 Samuel 15, 29, and we're going to end it here and give you why it doesn't matter that God never lies. Give you some practical things to take with you and then um, we get it for, for our, I mean, the reason why this message is so prevalent is because um, God is moving our church in a direction. Um, it, it's, it's been six years since we've been given this assignment. And, and um, I remember strong, I, I, I'm not sure exactly where Megan was. I think she was over here maybe. She can correct me or maybe in the office but I, or maybe at home. I'm not sure. But I remember when she said to me, do you remember where you were when God spoke to you? She says, there's life here. Was that church, you remember, or was it, it was home? And, and, and so um, one of the things, especially this morning when I was getting ready, and, and um, I said, babe, thank you that, you know, you don't, you don't lie to me. I said, thank you, you know, you, you're real honest with me. And, um, um, and I remember when she came and she said, God spoke to me and, and said, there's life here. There's life here. And we have taken that as our assignment, uh, our apostolic assignment, our pastoral assignment. I'm very relational, by the way, if you haven't noticed that as yet. Very relational. I think it's very important that we connect. I think it's critical that we do that. Um, and I remember hearing those words that, that God said, there's life here. And so as we take a look at what God is doing now, um, God wants us to move from just church growth to now community impact. It's clear that we're growing. If everyone who calls this place their home and that connects with us ever showed up, we wouldn't have enough space. And so God has said, I don't want you to get wrapped up just in church growth. I need for you now to move into community influence. You've got to advance the kingdom. That there's a community that we need to bring life to. I brought life to you here, and there's a community you have to bring life to now. I heard God. It's going to take every one of us to come to this conclusion. God never lies. That's why we're on the move. And what does that look like? I have no idea. I just know God says he never lies. And so what we have to understand is 1 Samuel 15, 29, as, we, as we're going to dive deeper into some of the decisions that we're looking to make and some of the things that we need for you to pray and come in agreement with, that we need for you to get more creative. And the reason why I said your Pentecostal spirit failed is because where God is taking us is not about a moving, it's about a transition. That God has transitioned us into an element, into a place of where he must become the promise keeper. Why? Because it's not just about church growth. It's about community impact. God loves this city and the surrounding city. I'm here to tell you with an apostolic assignment that God wants cities. And you have been chosen for this moment like Esther was chosen for such a time as this. That you're called to declare this message. That God never lies. 
It's the first Samuel 15, verse 29. I want if we can get it on the screen. Thank you for having it up there. And also the glory of what? Israel will not lie. The glory of Israel, which is God, will not lie or have regret. For he is not a man that he should have regret. And so I've given you the five statements that I believe that, that confirms that God never lies. And what we must do now is simply this, that, that, that where we are going and the thoughts of our hearts and the intents of our heart has to be based and cemented in this foundational statement. God never lies. And so this particular decision is based in years of people who have labored for God to do a work in this city. And so we have now reached a point where we cannot deny the God who speaks and his decree and what he is declaring that we must be prepared to not just look at church growth, but to look at a means of how we can impact our community with the glory and the grace of God that's upon our lives. And church, these are exciting times. It's an exciting time because it's time for, for vision to be cast. And here it is in Psalms 89, verse 35. Here it is. My last scripture, Psalms 89, verse 35. And it reads this. The psalmist is writing and he says, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to Fill your name in there. If you just say David, you're going to think that was just back for David and what he's doing. Put your name right in there. That God said, I've sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to you. To you, he will never lie. To me, he will never lie. As a church, he will never lie to us. God has declared it because of his holiness. He will not lie to us. So why does it matter to us then that God never lies? What's the big deal? Number one, for many who are struggling by way of watching this online or perhaps here, you're struggling. And the reason why God has given you this message and the reason why God wants to write your name out there, I will not lie to you. See the faith it takes to write your name there? Because the moment you put your name there, you have to recognize he's the promise keeper. But God, what about the prayers in the past that didn't seem God answered? So I can't write my name because I really believe, I won't say it out loud, that God, you lied to me. And so he's writing and he's saying, listen, no, what's it for all? This is it. I've sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to you. So why does it matter? Number one, God can be trusted to keep his promises. Number two. It changes the way I think about sin and my response to God's salvation. If God can never lie, he can be trusted to keep his promises. Number two, it changes the way I think about sin and my response to God's salvation. Number three, it teaches how to respond to the lies. And what life is bringing are lies right now. 
And it's bringing the life from the world. And so if you look to the world, the world is feeding you. It's feeding us, bombarding us with lies. Our world is twisting God's truth into a lie. We see it now. Just look at your kids and what they believe. It's amazing how they portray sex on TV. No consequence. It's amazing how they portray everything on TV. They make it pleasurable. Why? Because they want us to be able to entertain the lie. So we empower the liar. So how do we respond to the lies from the world? Number one, you realize we're not of this world. So God never lies. But we're in the world to bring transformation. So we have to understand this, that you will be betrayed by people. I said earlier that, that the enemy will pay people to hurt you. And all of that is sold that you believe God is lying to you and your future is not promised. Number two, we tell ourselves lies. This is the biggest one we want to break this morning. See, and I quote, depending on where you are in your thought life, your negative self-talk may be one of the biggest liars you fight each day. Every day you wake up and the enemy says, welcome, and a lie is waiting for you. I mean, it doesn't even like go to sleep. The lie is like, like this. You're sleeping, the lie is like this over your bed. Are you awake yet? I got a lie to tell you. I'm waiting for you. And that's what some people enter into an unfortunate state of depression. They're like, I just can't survive life because there's so many lies hitting me all over the place. Mental health is such an, it's a major increase right now. Why? Because life is just throwing lies after lies after lies. Fasting social media this uh, 21 days has been refreshing. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so we lie to ourselves. And so perhaps you're here this morning and you've been lying to yourself. He's saying, stop it. Because I never lie. You made in my likeness and in my image. And the worst is this. It's one thing. It's one thing to tell yourself a lie. Write this down. It's even worse to believe the lie. When you believe the lie, you impact or you empower the liar. And finally, Satan, he lies to us all the time. He wants to challenge God's character in our lives. Whatever about every eyes closed as we are coming to this part of our vision cast Sunday. My challenge to you is this in Psalms 89 verse 35. Whether you have a paper and a pen right there. Whether you have a device of where you take your notes. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a boss, whatever you are. I want you and I want to encourage you that when you write this down, that once and for all, this is it. You will not believe the lies of the world anymore. You will silence the lies you're telling yourself. And you will tell the enemy That I will not believe the lies you're telling me. And that you will say, God will not lie to me. Write your name on that piece of paper. It's a simple request, but requires the weightiness of God's promise. I'll say it again. That was good. It's a simple request to write your name. God will not lie to me. But the weightiness of it. Requires the promises of God. And so Jesus. If you're here. And you think you're saved. You need to give your heart to Jesus. And know that you're saved. 
Stop the lie of the enemy that's saying everything's okay. And perhaps you're not really saved at all. You said a prayer that grandma told you to say or somebody said. This is not condemnation. This is not, it's not trying to take away what happened. I'm here to tell you that the enemy can lie to you and say you're good. And when reality you're not, you're believing a lie. So if you're here and you're saying, Pastor Rowe, you know what? I don't, I don't really, I don't really know. I want you to have the full assurance of hope this morning that God would never lie to you. That God would never lie to you. How will you respond to the lies when you leave this building? How will you respond to the lies when you get back home? How will you respond to the bombardment of lies that is waiting for you from the world internally and from the enemy? How will you respond? How will we respond to the lies? And the answer is this. Once and for all, God has sworn by his holiness. He will not lie to me. And that settles the case. 